Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And uh, we're in a weird period of 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 the uh, whole COVID thing, feeling kind of... What period hasn't been weird, that's Justin? true. Yes. No, we haven't really gotten to a new normal, have we? It's just mm-hmm. kind of a shifting target. <laughs> It's okay. Life has changed. Some people just are, must adapt. are still very much on board with the whole reality of the situation sure, that we sure. find ourselves in. And some people are kind of pushing up against that and trying to find some other uh, ways to maybe think about truth. <laughs> which is some, <laughs> which some is, other ways to think about truth is a very generous way of putting yeah, it. I do my best. <laughs> I, I think that uh, that man, that's a that's a perfect lead in. To what we are, what we are talking about here. Well, thanks, because that's what it was designed as. Well, you didn't know, you don't know the whole topic, so no, I don't. It's funny how spot on you are. Thank you. I guess you I mean, normally are. I happened, I happened <laughs> on it by chance, so I, I can't take too much credit. So, uh, so I think that in times like these, where a lot of people are afraid, a lot of people are stressed out, and you start to see some of like your social systems break down a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit anarchy. Yes, just, uh, well, not full. A pecan. No, just some chaos, a little bit of chaos. The Vegas whiff of chaos. Yes, uh, I think that. I'm like um, a dog chasing a car. (sighs) No, we can't, we're not going there. You want to know why? (laughs) You want to know why I wear this mask? And I think, I think in times like that, it's really key that you're getting kind of a unified message uh, from your leaders as to how do we deal with this. And I think right now, uh, it is fair to say, I think everyone could agree that we are not getting a single message from our leaders. Mm-hmm. We're getting a lot of them. If I may continue my generosity, a potpourri yes. of different guidance and messages. Yes. Even from individual people. Yes. Who who may say one thing and tweet something else, yeah. which can be very confusing. And I think if you're already afraid and not certain of how to deal with a situation, and especially if it's something like like a, a pandemic where unless you're in the medical field, you don't necessarily speak that language. And then on top of that, even those of us in the medical field don't have all the answers because we're still learning. Mm. Uh, I think that that people can react in various unhelpful ways. Hmm. And obviously many helpful ones, I would say. Let's let's be positive. For sure. Many people have reacted in very helpful, good human ways but i think if i if i can uh uh and maybe the spirit of generosity has just overtaken me 
Uh, I feel like the the not the lack of certainty uh, creates an environment where finding the the right thing or the true thing is a little bit trickier than it was before or, or making judgments uh, if, yes. if I would Sydney and I Sydney's knows as much about this as anybody I know in my life and she and I still have to have long conversations about like what's right what feels right mm-hmm. um, partially that's due to a vacuum of leadership that we're having to fill with our own judgment um, but yeah I mean I think it's it's a confusing time. Yes. And and so it, it can be really easy to kind of stay in denial mm-hmm. because you might be getting messages that are telling you what you want to hear. And I think there's also a lot of uh, it's been highly politicized mm. what the right thing to do is, as if you're making a statement about your own values as opposed to trying to do the safest, best thing for yourself and each other. Um, instead, it's like. I'm, I'm making a sta- I'm taking a stand. I'm right? taking it right. And uh, and so in instead of doing really helpful things, we take to the streets and demand haircuts and flood bars as soon as they open and threaten McDonald's employees unless we get to sit in the dining room to eat. Listen, the one on how Greer just remodeled. And if I'm not complaining about sitting in that beautiful dining room that has like some really lovely water features and what have you, nobody should be complaining. Uh, that's fair. I, you know, I, when it is safe to eat in the dining room at McDonald's, you're free to go do that by yourself. I don't know that I'll be joining you. Listen, as soon as it's safe, I'm going to be taking the kids to the play place, Mm. letting them lick every surface in there. No problem. No, it'll be a long time before that'll be okay in this house. Anyway, this is not, this is not unprecedented. I, humans have done this before. (laughs) Uh, they they have seen a threat right in front of them and denied that it was real, usually because they thought political leaders were corrupt, were inflating the crisis for their own purposes, whether it was misdirection, distraction, uh, an expansion of government power and author- authoritarian goals. Uh, for whatever reasons, they have kind of not been able to see the truth and the the best actions that they could take. And they've turned on uh, the people who are supposed to be taking care of them, especially like doctors and nurses and other medical professionals whose job it is to try to, to help manage the crisis. They have turned on those very people and called them murderers and liars and, and threatened them. Mm. So I don't know if it makes you feel better to know this has all happened before. <laughs> But if it does, this episode might make you feel better. Well, let's do it. So I want to talk about the cholera riots, which I had never heard about the cholera riots until we got an email from Shawnee. So thank you, Shawnee, uh, for calling them to my attention. And I think I think they're really interesting, especially they happened um, many, many years ago in the 1830s. But right around this time, end of May, beginning of June, we're almost we're almost like. Almost at the exact dates that this occurred. Not exact, but pretty darn it's close. That th- it's that thermometer. That mercury starts rising. <laughs> spring is here. Spring is here. Life is Skittles. Life is beer. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to get out there and uh, shake it, I guess. I, I guess. Get, just get out there and shake it. Right. Uh, even if there's cholera. So Especially. <laughs> we, did a, we did a whole episode about cholera before. You may have remembered Jon Snow and the hand pump and epidemiology yeah. and all that. Okay. Uh, so I, I won't I won't get into cholera itself too much. It's a terrible diarrheal illness. 
um, which can which spreads through water typically and uh, contaminated drinking water. And it makes people very sick and has a high mortality if you're not treated effectively and appropriately. Nowadays, we're way better at managing diarrheal illness um, with something as simple as rehydration, mm-hmm. IV fluids if needed, or oral rehydration, however. They could have um, figured that one out on their own. In we, <laughs> no, no, no. It was, I mean, it, it took that, a what, while. They didn't, they didn't have Pedialyte? Come on. They didn't have Pedialyte. That's what I just said. <laughs> Anyway, cholera pandemics plagued humankind for centuries because it would spread very quickly. People didn't understand how it was spreading, so they didn't do anything really helpful to prevent it at Mm -hmm. first. And we didn't have any good. I mean, the treatments for it were the same treatments for everything else that was bad, which was like, let me put a leech on you. And that's not that's not helpful. Um, The word cholera would actually come to describe a variety of diarrheal illnesses, which I and this becomes important. So because somebody would get really bad diarrhea and we have no idea why back in the 1800s, the doctor might say, well, it's the summer cholera or the fall cholera or the winter cholera, just whatever time of year it is. It's like the sleep progressions, the four month sleep progression, the six month sleep progression. There's just the cholera of the season. Right. Whatever month your baby is, there's a sleep progression for that. Yeah. Uh, So it's same idea. And this was opposed to what would eventually be called the Asiatic cholera cholera morbidus or nowadays we just call it cholera which was actual bad can kill you cholera Um, a lot of these other things were just like you got diarrhea Mm. and this this matters because you can imagine the difference between it's summer a lot of your family and friends are getting the summer cholera which you go to the doctor and they're like ah yeah, sorry. Don't worry. Do do these unhelpful things and you do them and you get better because you were going to get better because it was just some diarrhea. Right. Mm-hmm. No big deal. But then all of a sudden there are some doctors and government officials saying, whoa, whoa, whoa no, that cholera, though, that cholera you have is different. Mm. That's a terrible cholera. And you need to go to a special hospital to get taken care of for that cholera, which is a little different. Kind of judgy. Well, you you can see why people would be confused. I think that it's important to understand that as it plays into the rest of this story. Like, wait a second. How come the cholera I had last week was no big deal, but then my brother gets that cholera and he's got to go to a lazaretto? What the heck are you talking about? Mm. Which is a quarantine hospital, you may remember. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. So anyway, we're going to start in St. Petersburg. I want to talk about two places, St. Petersburg and Liverpool. We're going to start in St. Petersburg, where probably some of the first cholera riots occurred, although, yeah, probably some of the first ones, Um, although these would occur many different places. Uh, In the summer of 1831, the the cholera epidemic was spreading. A lot of people were getting very sick. A lot of people were dying. And in response to this, the they had done what a lot of places were doing, which was trying to quarantine those that were sick, take them to special cholera hospitals to keep the disease contained in one place. Mm-hmm. There was not an understanding of how it was spread yet, right? This is all pre-John Snow. We don't know about the water. Probably miasma theory permeated most areas. So like that, which is like bad air. Exactly. Bad bad air. Bad air is spreading the disease. Um, And they didn't really understand why some people got sick and others didn't at that point. So part of what was happening at this time is that the lower socioeconomic classes didn't really trust those in power, especially not just those the rule, not just the government leaders, but like the ruling class in general, the educated sure. elites. Got it. Were were seen as um, not 
people who could not be trusted, people with nefarious goals. Um, and they, a lot of the lower socioeconomic classes felt that the quarantines and like, especially the kind of military response that was taking place in a lot of parts of Russia where you had like, you know, armed soldiers at different points in the city to stop you from going places a lot more intense than what we've seen Mm. here, you know, that they were being used as opposed to protecting, you know, people from the disease spreading. They were being used to keep sick, poor people in together and not keep disease out. So basically we're locking you all in together because we're trying to get rid of people we see as undesirable. Mm. This belief was very widespread. And so they didn't see these measures being taken by the government as something for their benefit, but as something directed to harm them. Mm. Um, On top of that, a conspiracy theory began to spread that perhaps the government was responsible for this. Really? Now, this would have not been a germ because we didn't really understand that. It was poison. Mm. There was a belief that the government was poisoning the wells <laughs> and that people were getting sick because the it, they were just uh, the, the phrase used a lot was call the herd. Let's let's get rid of. And those are usually the, uh, the the wells typically had uh, five gallon buckets. Um, they referred to them as five G <laughs> usually, uh, and the the assumption was that the five G was poisoning people from the, the government was using five G to poison people. So, <laughs> the problem uh, the problem with this on several levels is you can see where if you believe that the government and those who are more educated are behind all this. They're making you sick and it's targeted at you. And then they're keeping you all together so that you all get sick. Uh, you can see where like anybody who would support the idea of a quarantine would also be viewed with suspicion. Right. So this was very quickly spread to like the doctors and the sanitary inspectors and people who were responsible for trying to enforce these different regulations were also viewed as part of the conspiracy very quickly. Um, crowds gathered in the in the square in, in St. Petersburg to protest. There were several other places in Russia where this happened, but I wanted to focus on St. Petersburg first. Um, they were uh, initially just like chanting and, and marching and, and, you know, yelling and things. It expanded to where they actually they would find a sanitary inspector whose job who worked for the public health department, so to mm-hmm. speak, and beat them up, um, you know, as as part of the conspiracy. Uh, they this uh, ele- escalated until they went and like ransacked the closest cholera hospital. They started trying to find doctors. I couldn't find an, uh, any evidence of them actually killing doctors. But like the goal was we're going to find the doctors and put them to death because they're murdering the poor. Um, mm. They're part of the conspiracy. Uh, there was a big suspicion that the doctors were actually part of the poisoning because you would go, you would be taken to a hospital if you had cholera and then you would die there. And so the idea was that you weren't really that sick. You just had the regular old cholera that everybody gets. But then the doctors gave you poison. The medicine they were giving you was actually poison. Oh, okay. and, and that's why you died. Sure. sure. Um, and so the doctors are killing people, not the disease. And uh, in addition, you would have like this, these public health officials whose job it was to go like find sick people and take them to a hospital and try to remove them, especially if they were in like a multifamily dwelling or like in a big family, like get the sick person out. Mm-hmm. 
And so they're like removing people from their families, basically. And they would never return. Mm. I mean, it, it seems sinister. I mean, I it's especially in a time when we don't understand things nearly as well as we do now. It seems it seems sinister. And and I mean, you and I don't. I am not a. I have said this on the show many times. I am not a professional historian, and I certainly am not a, a professional historian when it comes to Russia in this time period. But my understanding is a lot of this was fueled by the the tension that already existed between the different classes, mm. between you know between the the ruling class that had a lot of the money and power and education and the uh, the lower classes who did a lot of hard work and weren't appropriately rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. So all of this, which is a tension that's this. really as as old as time itself, like as exactly. long as we've had pretty much society. Well, <laughs> I would assume that that tension has persisted. I think it's important to recognize that. The idea that you wouldn't trust the ruling class is not a wild idea. No. Uh, At any point in time, almost anywhere, certainly today here, the idea that your leaders, you would question their motivations. I don't think we should criticize people for that um, because they are often right to question the motivations of their of the ruling class. Right. Um, All of this apparently ended when and I found like an engraving of this, uh, Czar Nicholas came out into the square himself and demanded like everybody stop what you're doing, kneel and take your hat off. I don't know why the taking the hat off was so important, <laughs> but I, that's definitely part of the story. I kept finding that reference. He said kneel and take your hats off. So I guess that's a way of like it's like deference. Yeah. Take your hat off to me, and that kind of suppressed this riot. Wow, bad riot. <laughs> I think that's kind of a lame riot. I don't see that working now. Um, And there were other riots in other parts of Russia and throughout Europe. um, And the common themes were these same things. Distrust of the government, conspiracy theories, uh, that this was aimed at the poor or that this was a way to limit freedoms. You know, in places where like the idea of personal freedom was a newer one where you were having these like overthrows of these kind of monarchies and things then this kind of oppressive idea of quarantine really rubbed people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, The pandemic reached the UK late 1831. The first case was a a guy named William Sprote in Sunderland who got really sick. He was given brandy and opium, which was the treatment of the day. Uh, But he, he died. And then by (laughs) probably hoping he'd get into the history books for something else, but Hey, good job, William. Well, we all remember he was the first in this particular run of cholera. Nobody says like good at darts. Nice guy. We could say that. Yeah. Nice guy. Nice guy. Good at darts. I don't know. So there was an outbreak that followed and it ended the summer of the following year. And by that time, 21,882 people would have died. Many more would have been ill. And this is just estimates, of course, Um, because of the people, again, the miasma theory, that's just bad air that's making us sick. Nobody really knew how to prevent it. It wouldn't be until 1849 that Jon Snow would tell us it's because we're drinking raw sewage, guys. Maybe we should stop. Um, (laughs) this is gross. Uh, they tried to do that. Like you can see like local health departments created in response to this throughout the UK and quarantines were started, but not much helped. Um, and there was a lot of unrest due to the fact that unlike typhus, which we've talked about on the show, which was mainly restricted to the lower socioeconomic classes, people who were crowded. And like we've talked about, poverty is a big risk factor for typhus. Cholera doesn't discriminate. So, yeah, 
certainly crowded living conditions can let it spread faster. But once it gets into a house, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Cholera spreads. And they were seeing that even healthy upper class citizens were getting sick. Um, So came the riots to several places throughout the UK by 1832. And like I said, especially Liverpool. So for the I want to focus on Liverpool for the rest of the show. All right. Let's hear it. But before we do that. Oh, man. Let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Sydney. Oh, no. We were going to go to Liverpool. Oh, no. (laughs) I should have seen this coming. Well, I'm just giving a little bit of that Liverpudlian Uh atmosphere. Yeah. Let's go to Liverpool. I knew this would happen. 
I'm in Liverpool. Okay. Well, you can keep workshopping your Liverpudlian accent as we discuss. Oh, I'm in Liverpool. The, the cholera riots. So, oh, work on it. The epidemic hit the city on May 17th of 1832. By the time this all ended, it's wild how they know these exact dates. September 13th is the date that it has supposedly ended. Um, it would infect 3% of the population and about 31% of the infected died. Uh, I want to focus on uh, over a course of about two weeks in late May and early June of 1832, there were eight separate riots Wowzers. in Liverpool because of cholera the city tried to respond initially really quickly by establishing two different hospitals for cholera which were sometimes called lazarettos but either way hospitals specifically for cholera which we it shouldn't sound too weird because we've done that now right as i know in new york they've had hospitals that were specifically mm-hmm. addressing covid um in other places where there were a high number of patients and in china i know they were doing that um and they also had a fleet of um palanquins which were like big carts specifically for taking people to the hospital uh and you know liverpool was set up for getting big outbreaks of cholera for the same reason that actually a lot of cities throughout the uk and other places at the time would have been sewage (laughs) they had sewage well nobody really knew how to deal with sewage at this point in history and we've talked about this but like water sanitation was a major issue nobody quite understood why it was so important Mm -hmm. the idea again if your water looked clean you would assume it was clean because you didn't really understand about germs yet right so uh there were a lot of places where it would have been gross to drink the water and Liverpool was one of them. I think if you add into that that it was booming at the time, it was a big shipping port. There were a lot of people moving in and out of the city and a huge influx in population growth. Including so, four young men. Uh, well, five if you can't beat best. Uh, four young men who would go on to redefine uh, the sound of pop music. The, Be- the Beatles. In 1832? They were very young. <laughs> I don't think the early years. I don't think you have, have you lost Beatles your babies. concept of time. I called them Beatles babies. Have you lost is like, what they the show was about them. Like the way linear time oh, just, is that has that abandoned you? I'm excited. I'm just excited for John and George and Pete and Paul and Ringo mm-hmm. to turn up in the in the story. They won't be in this story. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. you know what? Actually, I'll let you add them on to the end. When we get to the end, you get to add on the part where the Beatles okay. come. Get to, okay. They get together. Do you know what I'm bummed, uh, by the way? I've been to Liverpool because uh, I wanted to go there because of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us like get excited to go there because of the Beatles. And I didn't know about the cholera riots. And I would have been very excited to learn about the cholera riots had I known about it when I went there. I bet you would have found those landmarks to be much less crowded. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. So a lot of these same issues that would lead to these riots in Liverpool that we've already talked about in Russia and other parts of Europe, a lot of those same ideas were part of the problem. But there is a specific issue that I think makes the the cholera riots in Liverpool very interesting. Uh, There was a specific concern that seemed to motivate how many riots they had and how upset people were. Liverpool had a complicated history when it came to doctors okay. already at this point. And, and it is fair to say that at this point in history, going to a doctor was a roll of the dice. Right. 
I'm not saying that people weren't doing their best. I'm just saying that their their best wasn't always that great. <laughs> Fair enough. As we've already referenced. Anyway. They had so, to invent apples to keep doctors away. That's where we're <laughs> at right now in history. That, that, the, we're at that point. In the So a couple reasons. I want to go over a couple instances that might give you a picture as to if you were living in Liverpool at this point in history, why doctors may not have been your personal heroes. So Because your personal heroes were already John, Paul, no, George, no. and <laughs> So at this point, in order to get bodies to dissect, if you were a medical student or a you know, doctor in training in order to, to get bodies to dissect, it was very difficult. We've talked about this on the show. Anatomical dissection was very, mm, it was not okay. And there were very narrow avenues to obtain bodies to dissect for, through legal means. Right. And so So like resurrection men. Yes. Digging Uh, bodies up for cash. And specifically this was, this happened a lot in Liverpool, um, in part because it was because of its ports. It was a nice place to ship bodies to and from. Mm. Um, there were a lot of bodies imported from Dublin. Uh, and in the 1820s, it was not uncommon for them to for like port authorities to smell something and then investigate some cargo and find a bunch of bodies there. And what it led to were a lot of like, a lot of people getting paid for moving bodies around and a lot of people like, oh, I just stumbled on your bodies. You better pay me, too. I'm going to be right. part of this operation now. And so a lot of that uh, was going on. And at the same time, doctors in the community were kind of defending some of this, saying like, got to have our bodies. We need like we don't we obviously we're not making you better most of the time. So we need to learn more, please. This is the only way we're going to learn. And so it already there was this kind of mm, we don't know what side the doctors are on. And then you had like a case in 1824 where there were people found specifically digging up bodies for one of the local doctors, for a, a very respected doctor in society, William Rathbone. Uh, they, they they knew he was attached to these grave robbers. Um, and he kind of came out and said, like, you know, I, I this we just need to change the law. This is OK. I think this is it. We need these bodies. And I'm sorry that we have to do it illegally, but it's because it should be legal. And again, this just added to this idea of the mistrust of doctors. Um, in 1826, there was this huge incident where they found 33 bodies on the docks being prepared to be shipped to Scotland for dissection. Somebody's mm. been paid to ship them to Scotland. Um, and then in 1828, there was a huge, well-publicized trial of a local surgeon, William Gill, who like is known as one of the fathers of like anatomical dissection in Liverpool, who like trained a lot of you know students and doctors uh who was found guilty of of a whole grave robbing operation do you think you miss your calling doing this podcast and not a podcast about grave robbing you <laughs> love grave robbing more than anybody i know i don't love grave robbing i do not endorse grave robbing no but no i don't what's the but after that i don't have a but mm. i mean you have a butt. You're wearing me undies. <laughs> What's the butt of that? Because you love to talk about grave robbing. No, I just I think it is one of those. I I like you wish you could be a grave robber now and no. be like, I'm doing it for science. No, I, I, I like moral gray areas. I think that grave robbing is reprehensible. But, but, I, but I do but, think but, that doctors needed bodies for dissection. And so 
it's it's but I don't think they should have done it that way. But there was no other way. I, I like these been, kinds of conundrums. You would have been Scarlet Sid, I, the terror of the cemetery. Me. You would have been would digging not. them up. The, the lady grave robber. Have you heard? <laughs> Scarlet Sid, the terror of the cemetery. I would never have or would. I would never rob Scarlet Sid will come for you. It was not the right thing to do, but But, I understand the situation they were in. (laughs) Love grave robbing. I don't. We've talked about grave robbing. It was a side tangent. You could have just said doctors weren't trusted. No, you're going to park the car and get out at grave robbing bluff and show the kids the sights. I'm painting a picture. Sure. You're just using a lot of the color labeled grave robbing. If in 1828, this this well-known surgeon stands trial, is found guilty of grave robbing, of running a whole operation. And do you know what his punishment was? Mm -hmm. 30 pounds. Yeah, he paid 30 pounds, which is, I mean, I'm sure that was a lot of money back then, but still. You're writing a note to me. It says far too much. They should have been paying him no, I'm not. to steal all these great I'm not. bodies. No, I'm not. But not only that, do you know how he probably paid it? What? With all the money he made from selling bodies. Profitable and moral. You love gray robbing. No, but the point is, if you can imagine being a citizen there and you just saw like Everybody knew about this guy, the surgeon, who stood trial. He did a terrible thing. He robbed graves. He had he had to pay thirty pounds. Why are you winking when you say? And he's terrible. still working. Mm-hmm. He's still working. And then on top of that, that same year, what was happening in Edinburgh? The Fringe Festival. The Burke and Hare murders. Oh. That same year. We're hearing that up in Scotland, there are these two guys who not only are they grave robbing for doctors, they're killing people. Yeah. For doctors. That's a fun story. You should dig into that one. I thought we've done that. We did. I'm saying the listener at home should Uh, find that episode and enjoy it. So it was in this context. It's in our book, too. I think it's in the Sawbones book. It is. Yeah. We have a whole diagram of how to rob a grave. Hmm. Interesting. That sounded really bad. No, no. It was supposed to be like a joke. I know it's a joke. Anyway. So it was in this context that the epidemic of cholera hits Liverpool. They have these cholera hospitals. They're carting people off to the cholera hospitals when they get sick. Uh, and the the people of Liverpool don't trust the doctors. They don't trust the government officials. They don't understand why this is all happening because nobody understood disease back then. Mm-hmm. And they don't trust what the doctors are doing with their family and friends when they get them to the hospital. Fair. So on May 29th, 1832, a dock worker and his wife go see a doctor and they're both sick. Uh, the, the husband had been sick first. The wife got sick next. Uh, the wife was much sicker. And so the doctor had her put on a palanquin and hauled off to the hospital by then a mob of women and boys largely had gathered outside the building outside the doctor's office to try to find out like what's this what's this doctor this crook gonna do Mm -hmm. um so they gathered outside and uh they took they took first the wife to the hospital uh, later that day, the husband was getting sicker. So the doctor decided he should be taken to the hospital as well. The mob got bigger. They followed the uh, patients, the poor sick patients to the hospital gathered outside first yelling, then throwing rocks. Uh, and the thing that they yelled 
was Burker. The primary reason for the Liverpool riots is that they thought, because of this history, the doctors were using these people for experimentation and for, anatomical dissection. Huh. That this was all intentional. Uh, and there were even doctors were chased through the streets because of this there. Um, they, uh, they began to have to have police details to follow them around because they were so often chased through the streets called burkers and attacked. Um, there was a patient who at one point was discharged from the hospital. And as she left, she was mistaken for somebody who was helping the doctors who was, you know, an assistant, a nurse, something, uh, another burker. And she was chased out of the hospital. Um, people throwing rocks at her accused of being a burger. Uh, and you know, it didn't help that the doctors weren't great at treating cholera Mm. because they didn't understand it. They were using the treatments of the day, bleeding and opium and brandy, things that would make you puke. None of that was helpful. Um, there was an observation in the press that I think is really interesting in context of today where they said, you know, um, the, uh, the people who go into the hospital are more likely to die of cholera than the people who stay at home with the cholera. Hmm. And so they begin to again, suspect that perhaps it was because the doctors were killing people with cholera or the things they were doing or whatever so that they could use their bodies for dissection. Um, which I think is very interesting because I've seen a lot of people say like, you know, uh, people who are put on ventilators are way more likely to die than people who aren't. And there's been this misconception that ventilators are killing people when in fact it's the, the sicker you are, the more likely you are to go on a ventilator. Right. 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 Um, and same thing, the, the patients that were being sent to the cholera hospitals were the sickest patients. The patients that stayed home were not as sick as the patients who went to the hospital. So, you know, I, you see all of this. The reason I bring all this up is that, Because of all this, when the citizens were faced with a crisis, with something they didn't understand, and they felt disconnected from their leaders, they felt like they were treated less than, um, they didn't trust the doctors in the medical establishment because the doctors, you know, at that point, a lot of the medical attitude towards people when it came to dissection was kind of like a sneering kind of like these uneducated fools don't understand that what we're doing will help them in the long run. When we dissect bodies, we learn, we become better at being doctors and then we provide better care for them. And they're too stupid to get that. And that kind of arrogance created this huge divide and, then when they were faced with needing to work together and trust the medical professionals in the community to help them through this crisis, people didn't trust them. Mm. Uh, and there were multiple riots um, throughout the next couple weeks. It, it, you know, eventually it would end when, you know, the, the government had to step in and, and take off everybody's hats one, <laughs> one at a time. No, I don't think there were any, there were any, uh, there was no czar. <laughs> To step in and and stop everything. Maybe that's why West Virginia has a COVID czar. So at some point, someone can tell everybody to take off their hats. Oh, my gosh. I didn't think about that. Yeah. We do have a COVID czar. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so so eventually the riots would stop uh, as and the I mean, the big thing that happened is that the outbreak subsided. Cholera kind of burned through different areas quickly and then would end and, you know. 
that would be that would be the end of it. Um, the po- the police were a big feature in these riots ending in Liverpool, and that's that's always one tough thing is is when the only way to end something is to like like a, a strong like military or police or kind of um, authoritarian presence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily ally the people with you. It doesn't kill the idea either. No, I mean it, it, it kind of reinforces it. So the rioting may have stopped, but the distrust persisted. Now, the Anatomy Act, as we've talked about on the show before, which allowed pathways for doctors to legally obtain bodies for dissection, would follow this. And that would somewhat calm this, except at the same time, there was still this belief like the doctors have just found a way to legalize murder. Right. (laughs) And so it didn't really fix all these problems. And I think all of this is interesting to look at today because when we see... Um, I mean, I think for a lot of us, especially in the medical community, when you see footage of like protesters yelling at like the, the I think there were a group of nurses standing in front of one hospital and like yelling in their faces and accusing them of of being part of this conspiracy of, of wanting to hurt people. I think they were called somebody yelled like, you're the virus, you're the problem. It's so disheartening and it's so upsetting and it can feel like I have no idea why this would happen. But I think if you step back and kind of look at the whole situation, then maybe we can understand why these beliefs flourish, why people are so misled. And then if we can address that, those root reasons, that's better than just forcing people, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. or writing people off as as rubes or dummies or. Right. Yeah. Um. And I think I think the number one thing is is leadership that speaks with one voice that is backed by science and backed by evidence and backed by compassion is the best way to get that message across. Well, we ain't going to do that. So what else you got? <laughs> I well, I will say this for me. This is how it's manifested very personally. I uh, saw someone post some misinformation on the Internet. Uh, some uh, very. um angry against doctors uh, to the extent that like, if you believe these things about doctors could incite violence against doctors type misinformation. And instead of responding as like, you're such an idiot. This is so stupid. I can't believe you would believe this. This is here are all the reasons this is so clearly a lie. I responded by saying, I understand that, you know, the medical system we have in this country has created at at times a very contentious relationship between doctors and patients. It's very unfortunate, but because we put so many things in between doctors and patients, insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and hospital administration and all these other things, that relationship is not all it could be for a lot of people. I understand that. And because of that, you may have a natural like distrust of what our motivations are. And I get that that could exist, but if you'd ever like to talk I would love to talk through that with you because I'm part of that system and I understand all of its problems and flaws and downfalls. And we probably agree on a lot of the things that could be done to fix it if we could talk about it. Now, I don't know who this friend was that posted this initially, so I'm taking a shot in the dark here. But was your diplomacy in this situation in any part motivated by the fact that you might have to see this person, say, around Thanksgiving time? (laughs) I I refuse to answer that question. I'm just saying that sometimes it can be really hard. And and right now, I think there are a lot of people who are who are 
sources of misinformation who stand in positions of authority that make it really hard for people to see that it's misinformation. Like if it's coming from there, it can't it can't all just be lies. Mm. And so I think that and, and these people are afraid and they want positive answers. They want to believe that it's not that bad or that the vaccine's coming out tomorrow. They want to believe this stuff. And so it's hard to just say, well, there's it's not true because the truth is is a lot more uncomfortable, which is a lot of we're not sure. We don't know. Maybe possibly yeah. you should still stay inside. You should still wear a mask. You should, you know, things that we don't want to hear. Yeah. And so maybe if we can kind of understand all this and meet people where they are, I mean, ultimately, that's my goal. And it's frustrating and it's hard. And like maybe privately, I need to go to my bedroom and punch a pillow a few times. Mm -hmm. But if I can do that, and in this case, the person responded very positively to me. And if I can do that over and over again, or at least every once in a while when I have the energy, we can change things. And and that's the way we affect change is not by othering, is not by separating further, is by connecting on things we agree on, which is that... The American healthcare system is horribly broken and does not serve everyone or a lot of us and needs to be completely overhauled. It's a call, a, a, a lovely call for peace and love that I know would be shared by four young men uh, on the streets <laughs> of Liverpool that are here to wrap up the show. John, Paul, George and Ringo, who would go on to form the Beatles. That's that's right. That was the that's what ended the riots. Really, the really the realization that listen, we might accidentally kill one of the Beatles' great grandpas, and we have to be more careful. Uh, thank you so much for listening to our program. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Uh, we are certainly thrilled that you are here. Um, uh, thank you uh, so much to the taxpayers for the use of song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, Justin, I want to thank somebody. Yeah, uh, Yvette sent us a bunch of masks. A bunch of cloth, homemade cloth masks. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to thank Yvette yeah, for, for sending us those masks. Um, Wore one today. That's right. Every I want to encourage everybody. There, Every time you go out in public, you should still be wearing masks. Mm -hmm. Yes. Make yes. sure that make that, that is still important. That any Anybody, again, we talked about it last time, but anybody who's saying that that doesn't matter, it's not helpful or dangerous, no. You should still be wearing masks. Please wear masks. Please social distance. Please wash your hands. Hang in there. Um, and, and hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. We're going to get through this. We just have to work together. Uh, that is going to do it for us for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Dr. Game Show is my favorite podcast and the only podcast my parents let me listen to because I'm 12. But even old people love this show. Basically, you call in, play games, and have fun. If you win a game, a baby will send you a magnet in the mail. I have so many magnets and put them all over my locker and pretty much everyone at school is jealous because they are very cool custom magnets and it also means that I'm really good at winning games. And they even let me practice my record live on the air. <laughs> Listening to this show is like going to a real doctor, but pretty much kind of better. Doctor Game Show rocks.
Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday.